Today's episode is sponsored by NerdWallet's Smart Money Podcast. NerdWallet's trusted financial journalists use fact-based reporting for some much-needed clarity in the finance world, helping you make smarter decisions with your money. The NerdWallet Smart Money Podcast has helped me plan for my tax bill so I don't dread April every year balancing my budget for this show, and helping me financially plan for my next adventure. You can listen to NerdWallet's Smart Money Podcast on your favorite podcast app. Future you will thank you. Rodeo season is going to be kicking off soon, and you know, I, I like the rodeo. I like going to the rodeo. I like going to cattle auctions and all sorts of those activities, and I want to look the part while I'm there. I love Tecovis as my go-to boots company, and if you've ever been in one of their stores, it's an amazing experience. Their motto is don't go gently. They are my favorite cowboy boot, and they bring a fresh perspective to heritage boot making, and they carry forward all those time-honored traditions and quality you will find in a great pair of cowboy boots, but they're innovative on comfort, style, and service. They have Western boots for men and women and are handmade from the most premium leather and follow over 200 time-honored individual steps in their boot-making process. Pretty cool. They're Austin-designed, Texas-tested, and handmade. And if you want to go to one of their stores, it is an amazing experience. They take customer service to a whole new level. But if you can't make it to a store, Tecovis delivers the most premium quality and most comfortable Western goods right to your door. Visit tecovis.com. And as a special opportunity just for you listeners, Tecovis is going to throw in their best-selling trucker hats or a ball cap for free into any purchase over $100 at tecovis.com. Just use the code ADVENTURE at checkout. Again, that's Tecovis, T-E-C-O-V-A-S.com, and use the code ADVENTURE at checkout to add a free hat to your order over $100. Bet MGM has an unreal deal for sports fans in Virginia. Turn $5 into $150 instantly when you place your first wager at Bet MGM. Simply download the Bet MGM app and sign up using code CHAMPION150. Then, place a $5 wager on any sport. You'll receive $150 in bonus bets, regardless of your wager's outcome and if you think the fun stops there the king of sportsbooks has plenty of surprises in store check out daily promotions same game parlays live bets and so much more download the app in virginia today and get 150 dollars in bonus bets instantly from your first wager only at betmgm betmgm and GameSense remind you to play responsibly see betmgm.com for terms 21 plus only virginia only New customer offer subject to eligibility requirements. Rewards are non-withdrawable bonus bets that expire in seven days. Please gamble responsibly. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. Promotional offer not available in Washington, D.C. Hey folks, welcome to the Adventure Sports Podcast. I'm your host, Mason. Uh, today's episode is, it's awesome. I know by the title, you might be like, okay, first woman to climb the second seven summits. What is that? Well, you, you know about the seven summits, the, the highest mountains on each continent. Um, those have been done. You know, it's, it's very obviously hard to do, but it's been done a bunch of times. We've had people on the show, plenty of people that have done it. Well, Jen might be the first person we've ever talked to 
actually she probably is because there's not hardly anybody has done this the second highest peak on every continent and the reason that's cool is is because we know the highest mountain doesn't mean the hardest mountain to climb so a lot of these second highest peaks are much more difficult one uh, because they're entirely different mountains and can just be more difficult by nature two uh, there's way less information in uh, guidebooks and experience from others that you can lean on to to kind of learn from before you summit. So it's a totally different beast to go after the second highest summit on every continent. And Jen here uh, is awesome. And you're, what, what you're going to hear is this whole journey started basically from a dare from one of her kids, which she has seven of, seven kids. Uh, I, one, she climbed one mountain for each of them pretty much. And we're going to hear a little bit about her new book that just came out, Breakproof, Seven Strategies to Build Resilience and Achieve Your Life Goals. And I thought this would be a great episode for still at the beginning of the year. A lot of y'all are um, just thinking and, and, and starting to work on the changes you want to make this year. And I just thought this was a perfect episode for this. And, and also her book is out. It just came out last week. And so please uh, find in the show notes, you can get a, a link to it. But what I want you to listen for, we're going to give away a copy of her book, Breakproof. What I want you to listen for, if you want a copy, is tell me the name of the mountain, the other mountain that she climbed in training for the seven sum summits. It wasn't Mount Everest. It was another mountain. And her and her son had a joke about it. Tell me the name of the mountain. Bonus points if you tell me what the joke was, too. It just sounds like the name of the mountain. And uh, tell me that name. If you're the first person to email that or send it to us on social media, Facebook, Instagram, as a message, you will get... If you're the first one to do it, you will get a copy of the book. All right, folks, let's go ahead and dive in. All right, folks, welcome to the Adventure Sports Podcast. Uh, today is pretty amazing story. Uh, gosh, I don't know if anybody will... There's not a lot of people out there that's going to do what Jen has done, but I think a lot of you will be able to relate to the story and be able to relate to just setting your own challenge for the year. It's a great time of year. This will come out early 24, so people are thinking about what do I want to do differently, and, and your story really is about that. So, uh, Jen Drummond, thank you so much for joining us. Oh, thank you for having me here today. Excited to be here. Yeah, and uh, I know yesterday was a big deal for you. It was a five-year anniversary of kind of the thing that got this whole new trajectory started. Do you, do you want to tell us a little bit about what happened five years ago? Yeah, what a crazy day because your body remembers, right? So five years ago on the 18th, I was in a horrific car crash. Um, I was coming up hot on a semi truck that was pulling a trailer, went to get into the left lane at the same time. He must have been bumping into the left lane with that second trailer and we collided. I went end over end three times, rolled about eight to 10 times sideways and the car finally came to a stop with me hanging upside down in the median. And I just remember like sitting there thinking, okay, I'm going to get hit by another car, right? Like that's what Hollywood has taught us that this isn't over until I'm smacked again and so I'm kind of trying to relax and brace for that. And instead, luckily for me, a human comes running. It's like, are you okay? Are you okay? And I could hear it, but I wasn't thinking they were talking to me, right? Like it just wasn't registering. And then that person pulled down the windshield and looked at me and goes, are you okay? And I looked at his face and I was like, 
oh, I don't know if I am. I'm afraid to look. So I closed my eyes and I wiggled my fingers and toes. I'm like, I can feel my fingers and toes. I can feel my fingers and toes. Like, I'm okay. This is, I'm okay. Like, we're good. I'm not paralyzed. Like, that body parts, whatever. And so um, the guy said, yeah, you're going to be okay. I'll sit here with you until the ambulance comes and we'll just make sure that you are okay. I said, okay. So those near-death experiences, they change you, yeah. change you. Had you had one before, anything like that? Any Because, you know, a lot of people, they might only have, they might not ever have an experience like that. Some people might have it every few years. <laughs> what was your story before that with as far yeah, as? Yeah, you know, I had one when I was younger. Do you remember playing those like Chinese fire drills? And I don't even know that's the appropriate way to say it. So I'm sorry if I'm being politically incorrect, but it's when you stop at a stop sign and then everybody gets out of the car yes. and like runs around the car rotates, and gets back into yeah, the car. Ro like, rotates a seat or just gets back. Yes, absolutely. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So we did that once and like I, I mean, almost head on when I was running around the car, I was the first person and I guess I went into the other lane too far and whatever. I mean, that was... But I was young then, right? Like this was the first time where I had responsibilities and like my, I, the car accident goes so slow yet so fast. And I just remember thinking like, I have seven kids at home. Like I have a company, people require payroll, like so much different thoughts went through. And then I did have one near death experience on the mountain that we can talk about. But yeah, so I've had three in my life. The most significant one being this car wreck for sure. T tell us about that immediate aftermath. I think that was a really wild, the fact that you were okay. And let's just say that you were okay and you were able to, you know, you had minor injuries. I don't know if you had a scratch on you. Yeah, I'd, I mean, I had, I got new boobs. Okay, so we can get real there. I had the seatbelt ruptured one of my breast implants. And so, I mean, the joke is I got a new lease on life, a new car, and new boobs. What more does a what girl want? What more could you want? I mean, yeah, that's, I mean, that's... like life was going in the right direction. Um, but yeah, no, I just remember coming home and everything was different. And you went home that night? I went home that night. Wow. Yeah. It was crazy. And I walked in the front door. My kids have no clue what happened. Thankfully, they didn't, they, they didn't need to know the crazy. And I just like this, everything, like everything was tuned up, right? There's sounds you were before I'd be like, come on, why do we have to sound like a herd of elephants? I'm like, I'm so glad I have a herd of elephants in this house, right? Like everything was just so grateful. We had Christmas the week later. Yeah. Right? I was going to so, say you're, I mean, you're, there's probably decorations up presents under the tree i mean this was a week before christmas a week before christmas so christmas is the next week and i used to be that person that like pretty much followed them around with a garbage bag like okay let's get like get the garbage in the garbage bag or whatever and i just sat there and watched paper flying and fingers twirling the paper and handing gifts to each other and i was so present in the moment and i wasn't always hurrying to do the next thing and I was just amazing. I wish we could live in that state, but we just don't as humans. It's a state we reach, but it's not a place we live from typically. And for about three months, I would say that was, I mean, I remember getting a call from the principal's office and the principal was mad because one of my kids was doing something that was bugging somebody. And he's like, I'll be honest with you. I thought I'd get a different response from you. 
I'm like, oh, no, no, no. Junior's getting in trouble. Like, don't you worry. That's the old one. (laughs) I'm just so grateful I'm here for this call. Like, good or bad, I'm just glad that I'm here to take this phone call. And I'm sorry, but we will correct it and whatever. But yeah, so 2019 became this big year of who am I? Why was I saved? What is something I can do that leaves a legacy and is significant? And yeah, that all happened. So 2019, I was just going through jotting down things I wanted to do and see and experience. And before the accident, I was definitely, I took on things that I knew I'd be good at, right? And after the accident, I didn't care, right? I didn't care if I was bad, good, whatever. I just wanted the experience. And so my game plan changed because it's more about, let's see what it feels like or looks like or whatever. Who cares if I'm terrible at it or I look like an idiot or everybody thinks I'm crazy. You're going to die too. So your judgment of crazy doesn't matter to me. Only my judgment of crazy matters. And then 2020, I was turning 40. So when I was turning 40 in 2020, I was looking over my list of things that I wanted to do, see, experience, explore, and climb a mountain stood out. Um, I live in Park City, so I'm by the mountains regularly. I had climbed the Grand Teton. Not small, but I mean, in comparison now, yeah. And it was like a great experience. And so I'm like, oh, I'm going to climb a mountain for my 40th birthday and launch this next decade of life. So I asked friends that were into mountaineering, if you could climb one mountain in the whole world, what would it be? And the general consensus was a mountain named Ama de Blom, which I had never heard of. It's in Nepal and it's Paramount Pictures logo. So the sales job was every time you go to a movie, you could say, I climbed that mountain in that logo. And I'm like, oh, that's kind of cool. Yeah, I'll do that. Um, it meant the mother's necklace. I'm like, that's kind of a resonates too. Well, if everybody remembers back to 2020, I wasn't climbing or going anywhere because COVID entered the scene and disrupted the world. And in fact, now I was a homeschool teacher to seven children. Um, and one, yeah, so I'm like, change of plans. One day, one of my little guys was struggling with his math homework. So I was doing that parent pep talk that we do, like, we do hard things, you've got this, like, blah, 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 blah. And in my son's frustration, he looked up at me and he goes, if we do hard things, why are you climbing a mountain called I'm a dumb blonde instead of a real mountain like Mount Everest? I sat there for a second. I'm a dumb blonde. <laughs> it's I'm a de blonde, buddy. Not I'm a dumb blonde. What are you? What? Do your homework. We'll look at Everest. And I totally understood that he heard it as that right now. Cause now I only hear it as that. Like I'm a dumb blonde mountain, whatever. Um, he finishes his homework. We look at Everest. He goes to bed. I'm still looking at Everest. I think if he thinks Everest is the hardest mountain in the whole world, I'm going to climb it. And I'm going to show him that whatever our Everest is, physical or metaphorical, we can conquer it or we can summit it. or We can do that. So I call a coach kind of half hoping he's going to be like, no, you're not going to be ready. Call this coach. Oh, yeah, I can get you ready. You were an athlete. Yeah, no big deal. This will be good. You know, buy this book about becoming an uphill athlete. I'm like, okay. So I buy this book and I'm reading it. Must have been having a bad day, which can happen. And I coach calls. And then in front of the book, there's a lady who got a Guinness World Record for doing something in the Alps. My kids learn how to read in Guinness World Record books, right? That's the only thing I was interested 
confident enough for them to keep going. And I told the coach, I'm like, I could have done that. Like I could have suffered and done that thing. And my kids would think I'm the coolest mom in the whole world. And my coach is like, all right, cool. I'll think of something. And that was like the conversation, right? Like me blowing off steam and him saying he'll solve the problem. A few weeks later, he calls me and he's like, Jen, I have the perfect world record for you. I'm like, yeah, kind of forgetting the conversation. Okay. And he's like, I think you should be the first female to climb the seven second summits. I'm like, that sounds like a tongue twister. I don't even know what you're saying. And he goes, the seven second summits are the second highest point on each of the seven continents. They're harder than the first seven. They've only been done by one male. So you'd be the first woman to do it. And he goes, think about it. Seven continents, seven mountains, seven children. Sounds like a jackpot. And it did sound like a jackpot. And for some reason, I got one of those whole body yeses. Just when right, we did man. The grand, yeah. Like when we did the grand, we did it in a day. Like I hadn't even like really slept in a tent before. Right. And I did one mountain and here I'm going to climb the second highest peak on every continent and whatever. Like what? So it was just crazy. But it was one of those crazies that felt good to me. And so I knew there was something to it. So I had to see what that meant. And I said, yes. One for each kid yep. is, is great. You know, doing one, you know, dedicated to each one. What about this versus, you know, the seven summits? Because that's often, you know, the, you know the, the challenge that a lot of people want to do. What, what about the second seven summits made it more appealing than the seven summits? Oh, I liked it that a female hadn't done it before. I liked it that it had only been done by one male. I liked the fact that it had only been done by one person, right? So to me, that was exciting and something fun. I think the seven summits have been done by 500 people or something. And I will tell you, as I've gotten into the mountaineering world, it's definitely more my style. Um, I climbed Everest to mm -hmm. train for yeah, K2. Yeah, I was going to say, you, you ended up yeah. meeting your son's challenge of not climbing Amadon Blanc, but climbing Mount Everest. Well, I did Amadon. I did, I did, I did Amadon Blanc first. Oh, I'm like, I'm doing mine first and then I'll do yours. Like I, I, I'll do both. So I did Amadon Blanc first and then I did Everest to train for K2. And K2 and Everest are great climbs. Um, K2 is definitely the more difficult one, hands down, zero questions asked. Um, but they're fixed rope climbs. So... There are these huge mountains with huge teams that are very commercialized that have made it super simple for an everyday human to be on them. If you climbed to Everest back in the 80s, I can't even imagine, right? I mean, that ice fall changes and shifts. Like, I went through the ice fall four times and it was different every time. And so then you're trying to find the route and all this different stuff. And like there's teams that just take care of the ice fall. So they set it every single day for you. So I just have to walk. I don't have to make decisions on whether we go this way or that way. And now there's drones that they can fly to be like, okay, will this get us to a dead end or can there, should we go this way? So technology has advanced the safety and the ability to access these mountains for so many more people. When you get into the second summits and you start doing some of those climbs, they're not frequented. Right, like Mount Tyree in Antarctica has only been climbed by about 15 people, I think, before we went for it. There's not a lot of data or stats or there's no one fixing the ropes or there's like, you just get to do more of it yourself. And I love that part. I mean, you're making the decisions. 
right? Okay, if we go this far, can we set up the, you know, when you climb Mount Logan, which I would argue is one of the, is maybe the hardest one. Uh, Mount Logan's the second highest point in North America. It's a huge glaciated mountain. So you don't have somebody that's tested the ground for you. So every step you take, you're testing the ground to make sure that you're not on a snow bridge or crevasse that's hidden or whatever. Every And it's windy. So every single time you set up your camp, you have to build an igloo over the tent because otherwise the wind will rip the tent fabric. And then you have to melt the snow to be able to have the food and you have to carry, you're not allowed Sherpa. So you're carrying everything in a sled. And so every, and you're inchworming up the mountain. So you get dropped off, then you'll do a load carry. You have to dig into the ground and bury it so it doesn't blow away. You come back to your tent. The next day you pack your tent up, you go past the load carry as far as you can, place the tent again, set it all up, melt water, make dinner, go to bed, wake up the next day, go back and get your load carry to bring it up. And like, and you're making decisions. Is the weather good? Is this the right path? Should we go this way or that way? There's so many more decisions that you're responsible for. Just an entirely different experience. Let's take a quick message break and hear from the folks that help make this show possible. A lot of the adventures we have on this show requires international travel and oftentimes a new language. Although there's plenty of adventure in just winging it, it really helps and can enrich in the adventure if you go prepared, learning some of the language before you go. And that's why I'm excited to be partnering with Babbel. And so if you're looking for a science-backed language learning app that actually works and works fast, that you don't want to pay hundreds of dollars for, a private tutor, or learning a language that actually is in a way that's not truly the way it's spoken, then you need to try Babbel. Babbel's convenient courses have helped me learn real-life conversational skills in different languages, so it's easy to learn how to order food, ask for directions, speak to someone at a store without having to consult an, an app, which you might not have service for, while you're out on an adventure. So with over 10 million subscriptions and 150 scientists that have helped create this app, here's a special limited-time deal for our listeners right now. Get 55% off your Babbel subscription at babbel.com slash ASP. Get 55% off at babbel.com slash ASP, spelled B-A-B-B-E-L dot com slash ASP for Adventure Sports Podcasts. Rules and restrictions may apply. I'd like to thank our sponsor, Fume, for sponsoring the Adventure Sports Podcast. Fume is a flavored air diffuser that you can breathe through. It's not vapor. Instead of electronics, it's completely natural, has no harmful chemicals, no carcinogens or anything like that, but can help you break a bad habit because not all parts of a bad habit are bad. And Fume helps you do just that, helps you enjoy and replaces that bad habit with being able to breathe through the fume and avoid some of the hangups that breathing in chemicals and vapors can have on your lungs. It's well-weighted, perfectly balanced, and extremely fun to, to fidget with. So if you want to start the year off right and get your good habits going, go to tryfume.com adventure, where they're giving our listeners 10% off when you use the code ADVENTURE to help make starting a good habit that much easier. That's tryfum.com slash adventure to save 10% off the Fume Journey Pack today. That is plenty of that for now. Let's get back into the episode. 
I'm not great in the cold. And some of the pictures I've seen of you and just uh, the nature of this kind of sport is so brutally difficult. It is, there had to be moments where you're away from your seven kids. And, you know, this isn't like, you know, mom's challenging herself to a marathon this year. Uh, mom's challenging herself to some of the hardest mountains in the world. And, but when you do one, like Mount Logan, you're like, okay, that was crazy. I'm back home. That was life changing. So difficult. So challenging. Well, I got six more to do. <laughs> it's an insane challenge. It really is. Yeah, but if you think about it, when do people sign up for the next marathon? Right when they finish. Right, yeah, right. right like, when Iron they Man has all the like signups for. Here's the next Iron Man that you want to oh, do. Oh yeah, I mean the World Championship. You're like, you have to sign up today. Or you won't get the chance to again, and people are in line right then, ready to ready to pay for it. I know we're such unique creatures. No, there's definitely times that I'm on the side of the mountain because I, I mean, there's crazy stories within this whole pursuit, right? It wasn't just skip, jump, and hike up the mountain. And there's times where I'm like, I paid for this. Like, what is wrong with me? I paid for this. I like trained for this. I did what? And here's what I'm doing. I could have been in the Caribbean or in the Mediterranean on a yacht at this point. What is going on? It's just crazy. Yeah, yeah. Let's talk about that. And actually, I want to hear this story too. I think you might be the first person ever to bring a hair dryer to Everest. Everest is that so true? Yes. <laughs> oh, the hair dryer story. Why isn't Revlon sponsoring me? I mean, come you. on. It's unbelievable. So yeah, let's do the hair dryer story. We can talk about more. Um, yeah, I'm going to Everest. And as you start taking care of things that you're concerned about, then other concerns pop up. And one of the concerns was I have long blonde hair and it does not dry naturally in five minutes. And so if we go shower and then we need to go up the mountain in the next 24 hours, I'm worried it's not going to be dry. Am I going to subset myself to getting sick? And so I'm like, okay, what am I going to do? So I called some companies that I was looking to climb with. The first company I called and I said, hey, listen, you know, like I have to do the important calls, like whose Sherpa do they have, their safety record, blah, 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 blah. I'm like, do you have a generator at base camp that I could use to dry my hair? And the first company I called was like, no, what are you even asking? I'm like, okay, sorry. They suggested I cut my hair. I'm like, okay, we're going to look at other options before we do that. <laughs> I'm shopping you out. Thanks for the opinion. The second company I called they're like, yeah, you can use the generator once a week and we can shut everything. Hair dryers take a lot of power for some crazy reason. And I'm like, okay, cool. That worked. And then the third company I called when I asked, they're like, do you want a mirror? I'm like, wow, that anticipation of what I'll need next is the kind of team I want to climb with on the mountain because they're anticipating what's involved with everything that's going on. I'm like, okay, perfect. So I climb with that company. And I actually get a hold of a company here in Utah named Goal Zero that has solar panels and all this kind of stuff. And they have this big battery that can actually power a hairdryer. I'm like, okay, perfect. I don't even have to use a generator. I'll bring this powered battery. I'll dry my hair. Everybody wins, you know, being conscientious of the environment. And I get there, I wash my hair, and then I go to use the blow dryer and it has to, it won't work because the silly battery isn't in the sun. And I'm like, oh. Are you kidding me? I can't do this hiding in my tent and no one will know. Like now I have to do this out in the open in front of everybody and be th that girl. 
And I have this conversation with myself for an hour and like the sun's starting to go down. So I'm like, okay, I can't make this. I'm going. So I finally get enough courage. I go out there. I'm like blow drying my hair, not really owning it, whatever. I quickly become known as Mountain Barbie before the Barbie movie came out. I'm like, fine, fine, fine. And it wasn't until we climbed Everest, got back to Kathmandu, and I had no less than 10 women come up to me. And they said, thank you for drying your hair. I'm like, what? They're like, yeah, no, thank you. Thank you for having a need as a female and owning it and getting it taken care of and giving me permission to not pretend I'm a mini male and allow myself to show up as who I am and ask for my needs. And I was like, wow, that was not my intention. Like my, I was embarrassed. I was shy. I'm like, I don't like, really, do I need this? And it's just one of those stories that goes to show, like, I wasn't asking for shrimp at base camp, mm -hmm. right? Like I was asking for something that was going to, in my mind, keep me healthy to go up the mountain. And when we do that, we don't only ask for ourselves, we ask for all those around us. And it's really important for us to stand up for what we need because it, it's standing up for what everybody needs. And that story allowed me to not be embarrassed about drying my hair at base camp. That makes <laughs> a lot of sense because it, it was more of uh, yeah, you don't, you don't want to cut your hair for this experience, yeah. but in order to, like you said, stay healthy and not have frozen hair that could be very dangerous for your uh, ability to climb a mountain, you need to dry it and you need a hair dryer for that reason. It wasn't, you know, to, to walk the runway. It's, it's, it's very practical for folks that might not understand. It might not seem that way, but no, that makes a lot of sense. Wow. Really cool. Well, we have like Wi-Fi at base camp. Okay. People, this isn't like wilderness. Okay. Yeah. So like base camp at Everest is a whole different world than what sometimes people think. I mean, I could do zoom calls to my kids' classrooms and my kids every day. Right. Like, I mean, it's like, it's amazing how advanced that is. So anyways, there you go. Crazy. That's the story. So once you climbed the first few mountains and you, and you set your goal to the second seven summits, what, what was like kicking into gear for you? Cause that is just so much logistically to figure out you're a mom. Uh, you've got a business, you've got, you know, all of quote normal life responsibilities. H how do you, how do you break down such a massive goal? Like what's your process? Cause I, th I think that's one of the most interesting abilities you have an interesting parts of this story really. Yeah. Well, I mean, to give a little bit of background, I own a financial service company. So I'm in like asset management. I had hired myself out of a job to be a stay at home mom. So the company was running itself for the most part. And let's be honest, the longest I'm gone is the longest I was gone without like Wi-Fi was two weeks on these, all these pursuits. So I was available and I had satellite phones. So if somebody really needed to get a hold of me, you could get a hold of me no matter where I was, which made a difference. Um, so the business was kind of running itself and me being gone for a month. If you own a business, I hope you get your business to a spot where you can be gone for a month and have it still function because otherwise you're self-employed. You don't own a business. And so I was very conscientious of making sure I own a business and that I'm not self-employed. Then when it came to the kids, which were my number one concern, um, you know, 
I had to get grandma on board. I had to get friends and family on board. I had to get the community on board. One of the things I talk about in my book is big mountains take big teams. Okay. Mm -hmm. So this pursuit is a huge mountain. And so it takes a big team to make that happen. So it was very much, okay, for the next couple of years, this is a pursuit. Are you willing to participate? And what level can you participate in? And my mom would be like, okay, anytime you go, I'll stay at the house. And then we had a nanny that had been with us since my oldest was a newborn. So that helped because she had the stability and all that kind of jazz. And then people filled in different spots mm -hmm. um, along the way. So coordinating kid care was probably the hardest part. And then That's there's the hardest part of this whole thing is coordinating. It is. It's crazy, isn't it? it? Is, no, it, it's so true, though. It's so true. I only have two kids and they're they're young, but it's just it is that is often like the adventure is not hard that I do. It's really the day to day stuff and making sure that's ready to go when I go and I, getting out on the adventures like, OK, I can take a break now is what it often feels yeah. like. I'm sure that felt that way no, for you exactly. when I'm climbing. I'm like, all right, I can just climb now. I only have to worry about me. Like it was so easy. I like the, like everybody was like, I can't believe like how strong you are or whatever else like that. I'm like, I am used to juggling a thousand things. I have one human to worry about. You'd be amazed. Like, so my kids could not have been better mental preparation for these pursuits than I think anything else. Right. I mean, it's crazy. So the kids were the hardest part for sure. What did the people around you think as well? Like your, like your mom, you said, and, and, and just folks, oh. like, what were they saying now? support oh, or just questioning yeah so like i was very very selective of who i talked about it when so for example when the goal first was presented i shared it with my kids and we looked at it and the kids have like no clue right so they're oh, everybody's excited oh that's cool you get to fly all of these different places and blah 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 um and then i hired a coach and i met people that had done some of these climbs Right. When you in Park City, there's actually a handful of people that have climbed Everest. And so your mind of Everest is crazy until you meet these people and you go out to lunch with them and they spill ketchup on their shirt, too. I'm like, oh, well, if you do that, we're good. Like we're same, same. Right. Like you normalize the extreme by the people you surround yourself with. So I did that for a little bit first. So by the time I called my mom and said, hey, I'm going to climb Everest. My energy was entirely different. It wasn't like, hey, I'm going to climb Everest as I'm not sure. It was like, I'm climbing Everest. Here's what's happening, blah, 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 blah. And so you just have a different tone, a different vibration, a different everything about the pursuit because of the work I did ahead of time because I knew grandma was going to be, uh, no, you're not. That's cute, Jennifer, but you're not. Um, and so she didn't have any space to not be supportive. And I know they were nervous, but eventually they came around. My community is a community of mountaineers, so that helped. But I have a ton of haters. I mean, a ton of haters. And I think, yeah, just people are like, you're selfish, and how could you do this, and da-da-da-da-da. And one of my friends um, told me early on, like, when you do extreme things, you're going to have equal lovers, equal haters. So just expect that because in the beginning, I only had the nice people. And then at the end, people trolled. Like even the other day, I was on the news talking about the pursuit and it's being done. I had people like bother to find my website, find my email and send me emails and tell me like what a crazy, stupid thing I did and how irresponsible that was. And the whole thing's done. 
I'm like, wow, that was a lot of effort. Thank you for sharing your opinion. That's <laughs> crazy. Unreal. Wow. I've had a little bit of that and it's always not to the degree because I've never done anything. Like well, it's the gender year. bias too, I think. I had like a ton of guys that were dads on Everest. Like there's climbing people on my team that were dads. Not one of them got asked who's taking care of the kids or how are the kids doing? But every person that ran into me, they're like, who's taking care of the kids? How are you manage this? Blah, 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 blah. And I'm like, oh, we have a long way to go in that department yet. Which is one of the reasons why I wanted to do this pursuit is to like have people realize like, oh, look at this reaction I'm having because she's a female doing it. Versus the reaction I would be having if she was a male doing it. I have some work to do for this not to exist. Hmm. Had you had haters before this experience in other no, parts of life? Really. I mean, I didn't know of them. They didn't feel they necessarily, like they didn't need to verbalize it. But yeah, no. Yeah. So that was a new thing for me, for sure. But then, you know, I turned around on two mountains because I didn't feel like they were safe, like situations weren't lining up, things happened that were not conducive to continuing. And for me, I mean, here's something for everybody to listen to. I'm on Everest, the summit of Everest for 10 minutes. I trained 1,238 hours to be on that summit for 10 minutes. And if that is not a lesson in enjoying the journey, I don't know what is, right? So my whole thing was people over peaks every time. So if something was going on and the peak had to wait, that was fine. It will always be there. Who I am as a person and how I show up matters more than what do I achieve. So that was a guiding principle that allowed me to turn around in circumstances and be like, I told my kids I'm coming home. It doesn't feel right to continue. And here we are. We'll come back. Mm -hmm. what, what would you say was the most challenging peak and why? Um, so like anything we do, weather probably makes things shift the most, right? So like in Park City, I can drive down the road and it's in the middle of summer and it's super safe. We get a whiteout snowstorm with black ice and all of a sudden that same drive is an entirely different experience. Um, when we were on Mount Logan in 2022, we had bad weather really bad weather, like cold, crazy. I mean, I was in outfits that I didn't even wear in Antarctica or on the top of Everest. Okay. So it was just next level crazy. And our expedition got called. So we called it and came home. But we went back in 2023 and um, we were hitting, everything was perfect, like flowing so smoothly and amazing. And it was fascinating how much confidence built, right? When you have everything humming and going and then we got up to this point, which is considered camp three. And we brought seven days of food and we're thinking it was going to take us three days based on the weather. And we got caught in a storm that took seven days. And so you're in this storm and normally you either have wind or you have snow in Mount Logan. And we had the combination of both. And we had built this igloo and this kind of like wind wall. And so the snow kept getting caught. So we'd have to get out of the tent, move the snow away so that the tent wasn't underneath snow entirely. The wind was blowing like crazy for the entire, like for one 14 hour period, all you heard was tent fabric being pulled taunt and then released taunt and released. Like it is a nightmare in my head. If I think about it and we were all dressed in all of our gear 
because the guide that was with us was like, listen, if this tent rips, we're dead. Like this skinny little tent fabric is the only thing that's saving us. And it is pulling taut and releasing with the wind every like 1938, whatever. It's not consistent. You'd be dead because of the just the exposure to the elements at that point. Exposure to the elements. So we have all of our gear on, our like our sleeping bag and all that kind of stuff prepared that if that happens, here's what we need to do. Because you couldn't go out of our tent and see. Like we have bamboo sticks that we mark things with so we know where we're going. And the bamboo like literally sticks. bamboo sticks. Yeah, yeah, no, because so that's there's bamboo stick down in Antarctica, or no, in Canada. This Mount Logan, you said Mount Logan. So <laughs> yeah, everybody brings Canada. bamboo sticks because it's like natural. And what yeah, happens is sense. you when you go in Antarctica or Mount Logan, you take your ski pole and you poke to the left of you, the center of you, and the right of you. And if it bounces back, you're like, okay, I can take a step forward left, center, right, step forward, left, center, right. And then you put a bamboo stick in because two feet to the left or two feet to the right is not tested ground. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. So if I don't stay on that bamboo stick, I might fall into a crevasse. And I was on Mount Everest in 2021. We were in a horrific storm, all roped up. A Sherpa clipped off the ropes, go to the bathroom, took like three steps to the side, fell to his death. So believe you me, my experience was like, we are staying on this bamboo stick, like zero, because I don't, we're not roped up to anything on Mount Logan. You're just roped up to each other. And so you could literally not go from one bamboo stick to the next and see it. So we were making a plan to go. We were like, okay, there's a crevasse. We know this far over. If for some reason we can get to that crevasse, we're going to lower into that and stay in the crevasse until the storm is done, because that's actually the safest place to be. I'm like, I am not crawling in the grass. <laughs> like, please do not let this be part of my story. And finally, that storm subsided. We needed, we decided that we needed to go down to get more food to be safe. We go down to get more food from our last camp. Because you kind of set up a bit, you move your base camp to camp two. Because then there's this big vertical wall that gets you to camp three. So you try not to carry as much up to camp three because you're already doing loads to get to that spot. We go down, we get food, we come back. In that transition, my friend Ryan, there's only three of us because three of us can fit in a four-man tent and then we only have to build one igloo every single time we park somewhere. Ryan gets frostbite. And so we're like, okay. Where? Um, and his fingers and his toes. I'm oh. like, Ryan, like, come on. How does this yeah, come on, happen, right? Jeez. And so we all feel terrible, whatever. We call Parks Canada. Parks Canada is like, we can't come today. The weather's too bad. We can come tomorrow. Okay, perfect. So we have to keep Ryan safe and comfortable overnight. The next day, they long line Ryan off the mountain. And then they leave Todd and I. And, you know, I'm a buck 15. I don't know. Todd's like, whatever, a normal guy size, not big. Ryan was kind of our workhorse on height and everything. And we had to continue up the mountain. When you climb Mount Logan, it is 19,500 feet, I think, in there at the summit. But the interesting thing about Mount Logan is that there's an, you go to 16,000 feet at camp three, you go up to 18,100 feet, and then come back down to about 16,000 feet to get to camp four. And then you can set up another camp to camp five and then go for the summit. But we decided to go from camp four to go to the summit. But the problem is, is that once you go over this 18-1, now you're in zones where like helicopters aren't coming, 
right? So you have to have perfect weather on the other side because if something goes wrong, the rescue's not coming that far. And we're like, okay. And then you have to carry all that stuff. Well, I only can carry a sled. You know, there's only so much weight somebody can carry. And then the bigger thing is, is like, let's say we get it up to that 18 one. I can't have that sled weigh more than I do, or that sled's going to pull me down the hill instead of me pulling it down the hill. And then I could fall into a crevasse or anything else. I mean, so it was just, it put us in a really interesting situation. I had all worked out in the end, Ryan's fingers and toes are hundred percent healed, which is absolutely amazing based on what they looked like. But that was, I mean, that was an experience. Did part of you at all worry about, cause the, the car accident was, no, I mean, involuntary near-death experience. Did part of you right. at all worry about putting yourself at this risk with having seven kids at home? Let's take a quick message break and hear from the folks that help make this show possible. For those who embrace the impossible, the Defender 110 is up for the adventure. The iconic vehicle has been redefined with thoroughly modern design. The exterior is reimagined with compelling proportions and precise detailing. The interior is built with robust materials and integrity, and the capability is legendary. Whether you're facing off-road challenges or harsh weather conditions, the Defender 110 lets you go further and do more. Durability has been tested to the extreme. Cargo capacity means you have room for all your gear. All this meaning to drive the Defender is to explore with greater confidence. And there's also powerful innovations like the intuitive driver display and award-winning infotainment system to keep you connected. And also the innovative camera technologies deliver unobstructed views and effortless maneuvering. And the entire Defender family is ready for a wide range of adventures. They have the two-door Defender 90, the Defender 110, and the Defender 130, which seats up to eight. So push what's possible with a vehicle made to go further, the Defender 110. Learn more at LandRoverUSA.com forward slash Defender. Shopify is a global commerce platform that helps you sell anything online at every stage of your business. From the launch your online store stage to the first real life store stage, all the way to the, did we just hit a million dollars in revenue stage? Shopify's there to help you grow. Whether you're a podcaster trying to sell merch or selling autographed sports memorabilia, Shopify helps you sell everywhere. From their all-in-one commerce platform to their personal POS system, Shopify has got you covered. Now, I do use Shopify with my day job. That's our website and that's our platform. It's so handy. It makes it easy for us on the back end. It makes it easy for you as a shopper and as a customer to sell more. And they can help you all the way from those early, early days until you're a real business making real money. And that's what I love about them. No matter how big you want to grow, they can grow with you and help you take control your business to get it to that next level. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash ASP, all lowercase. Again, go to shopify.com slash ASP to grow your business no matter what stage you're in. Shopify.com slash ASP. That is plenty of that for now. Let's get back into the episode. I mean, it was definitely in my mind, but what was interesting for me with the car accident, if we go back to that scenario, I survive. I shouldn't have. 
A few weeks after my accident, a girlfriend of mine goes running on a trail. Actually called me to go running with her that day. And I was like, I can't fit it in, but thanks for asking. She's running on a trail that you and I could push a stroller on. It's wet out. She slips. She hits her head on a rock and never comes home. She died. Died. Holy crap. Running on a trail. Like three weeks after I survived this horrific car crash where my car looks like a tin can. And so for me... I'm metabolizing those two events at the same time, trying to make sense of it. And the only thing that I could come out of that with is we don't get to choose when we die. Like we really don't get to choose, but we sure get to choose how we live. And I just felt like, okay, if I'm going to die and it's my time and I'm walking down the street, I'm going to die walking down the street. If it's my time and I'm on the mountain, I'm going to die on the mountain. And if I'm making smart decisions, like I, it's interesting now that I've been in mountaineering long enough of how many of those decisions are of deaths are just bad decisions or overconfidence or different things like that. Like the big thing about climbing mountains and doing the life maybe more conservatively than I did before is the summit isn't home. Right. Like you're only home once you're home. I think of how many businesses are building a business and they're trying to get to the summit. Well, think of how many would still be in business if they calculated, hey, I need to get to the summit. We also need to get all the way back home. Yeah. The summit is halfway. Summit's halfway. And so the entire time you're going forward, you're asking yourself, do I have enough energy to get back? Do I have enough energy to get back? Do I have enough energy to get back from this point? And that's how you're making decisions. Can I get back? So yeah, the storm that happened in um, Mount Logan was scary. It was probably one of the scariest storms I've been in. You know, my other crazy experiences, like I got anthrax, right? Like who gets anthrax climbing? I mean, that was nutty. What, what happened there? Yeah. So here I am going to K2 for the second time because we didn't summit the first year. And when you hike into K2, you are, you don't have tea houses. You don't have like all the luxuries of Everest. It is, it's hardcore. It's pretty rugged. It's actually a really cool trek. If you can handle all the things about it. Um, when you get to one spot right before K2 base camp, that location on a clear night, you can see 10 of the world's top 30 pe- highest peaks. So in one location, you can see 10 out of 30 highest peaks, which is pretty fantastic. And mountains in Pakistan are jagged and sharp and angry. Mountains in Nepal are like loving and big and broad and just, it's just such a different energy on them. But so we are hiking in, I get Jardia, which is unfortunately kind of part of the pursuit, right? The water doesn't get clean somehow and I have diarrhea. And so I go on a five-day ciproflaxin or something. That dose that I went on was probably too strong for my weight and height and all the different things that go into that calculation, but that's what the medicine we had. And so my system was immunocompromised. I was the person who cared about the animals and every silly hike that we went on, right? Because they're carrying all the gear. So I'm making sure they're getting water and fed and blah, 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 blah. Well, one day on our hike into base camp, I get sneezed on by a donkey. Like I'm full of donkey snot. And I was so angry. I'm like, you jerk. I'm the only person that cares about you. And you slime me. Like, what is this? That jackass, you know, jackass. Exactly. 
So then like a couple days later, I get sick again and it's the same symptoms as Chardia. So they're like, oh, you must have it again. So I go on another z and then I'm healthy for like two days and I start getting sick again. And so like this kept happening. And then finally, like, well, we don't think you should take any more of this antibiotic because obviously it's not working. And you've had like three rounds of it already. I'm like, okay, fine. I'm just sick. Well, it came time to climb K2 and I'm not feeling good, but I'm like, I am not coming back here. Like there, I don't care if I puke or have diarrhea up this entire mountain. I am not like, there's no way I'm coming back to this mountain for a third time. And so I go, I climb, I come back down. I call my family on my satellite phone and I have a voicemail on my sat phone. And it's from Yosemite National Park. A couple of my boys that are my older ones are at camp there. And it's a camp counselor saying like, hey, guess what? Your kids don't really like camp. They don't want to be here. They're at the age where they don't have to be here. I'm like. And you're like, I'm on K2. I, I, yeah, I'm like, I'm sorry. I'm in Pakistan climbing K2. You're telling me they don't like Yosemite National Park? Cute. They'll be fine. I'll see them in a little bit. And she's like, no, actually at their age, they don't have to be here. And so we have assigned them a counselor that's working with them for X dollar fee a day until you can come pick them up. I'm fuming. Like, I am so angry. I leave all my stuff. I'm like, we're getting out of here. I'm coming home, whatever. And so I like do this 55 mile trek out in like 36 hours. I get on an airplane. I pick up these monsters. Luckily, like walking and hiking, you lose your anger. I was actually mad at myself that I couldn't be angrier when I picked them up, but whatever. I come home and everybody's like, Jen, you are sick. I'm like, I am. I lost 30 pounds. Like when I stepped on my scale and I got home, I was 30 pounds lighter than when I left. I'm like, I'm not a big human. This is bad. So I go to the hospital just to get checked out because I'm not feeling better. And now I'm kind of throwing up water and this, that, and the other thing. And so they're running all these tests at the hospital and they said, Hey, were you, you were in a third world country, right? I'm like, yeah. They're like, will you buy farm animals? And at first I'm like, no, I wasn't buying farm animals. I was climbing a mountain, you know, like being all whatever. And I said, wait, I was by farm animals because we had donkeys carrying our stuff in. And in fact, one of those jerks sneezed on me one day and they're like, okay, we got to run a different test. So they ran a different test and they're like, you have anthrax. I'm like, I thought anthrax was like a white powder that you licked envelopes with. What are yeah, you the, talking about? The terrorists about? send you in the mail. You know, that, that was like the thing when I was, that was the thing. We like, I, I thought that was the only way you got it. I'm like, what is even anthrax? Like who even knew? And they said that um, it's in third world countries and like farm animals. And if you had a normal immune system, your body would fight it off. There's, it wouldn't happen. But because my immune system was empty from the antibiotic, that bacteria got in and then the antibiotic would cut it back, but it didn't get rid of it. So then it kept growing back. And then the doctor says to me, he goes, listen, sweetheart, you have a 40% chance of living right now. This is how bad you have this thing. I'm like, what? And he goes, those boys that quit Yosemite National Park saved your life because it would have taken me five, like the normal hike out of K2 base camp is five to seven days. I didn't have five to seven days, like at all at this point. And so I went on all the antibiotics and did all the things that you're supposed to do and luckily came back from it. But I just think it's fascinating. That story just reminds me of how much the universe really has our back. Because the only thing that would have brought me home from that climb was something wrong with my kids. There's no way I would have come home for anything else. 
That is absolutely wild. I didn't know that story. Have, it's just so crazy what you're having to deal with, like from the perspective of the mountain itself to picking up a disease or getting Giardia, something that seems like a, just a huge nuisance and yeah. almost like an oversight with all the planning and all the training and all the everything to get that. And then this, the unexpected, like you just, you can have a goal, you can pursue things and plan for everything. But you, you can't, I'm sure anthrax never came up in your training or in your research or in anything. And lo and behold, you get that. And then one of the last things you think that would happen is your kid's not enjoying being at Yosemite at a summer camp or whatever it was, being the reason you have to change everything. Like that seems so unexpected, like the un- yeah. like truly unexpected, almost as unexpected as the car crash. No, 100% unexpected. never pieced together. No. And something that I'm glad I didn't know what it was, right? Because then your brain's not running a million stories. And, you know, 2021, I had a horrific experience on K2. I lost a teammate to an avalanche. And so I was not excited to go back in 2022 because now I had this experience that I had to overcome. And I almost think being sick caused me to focus on that so much more than all the other things that it helped me get through this climb that was haunting me because it took the life of a friend. I mean, it's just crazy how it all works. Unreal. Just when you, it makes no, I mean, you could never put that together looking ahead, but looking back, just how the dots connect. It's that's, that's a wild story. That's a really crazy story. I'm going to say a really good story, but a lot of the (laughs) elements aren't great. You know what I mean? So it's, it's a powerful story. I'll give you that. So when did it make sense to you to, you know, were you, how were you documenting this? Were you writing stuff down? Were you kind of thinking about lessons you're learning? Because, you, you, you know, you did write a book uh, that's coming out, uh, Breakproof. And I want to hear, like, what was that process? Was that always an idea? You know, I'm going to capture this in some way. This would be one of the ideas. What, how did that process come about? Yeah, so halfway through the climbs, I went out to lunch with a friend and was sharing stories like, can you believe this? And then this, and that. I mean, like, it was like for every mountain. I mean, it has so many stories and there's so many stories that didn't make it into the book because I'm like, no one wants to read a book like a bazillion pages long. So anyways, there's so much stuff that happened. And my friend who's not into mountaineering at all was like, listen, I don't even like mountaineering and I'm fascinated by what's going on here. You need to write this down and share these stories because there's such a story of resilience and all this stuff that people need to take into their own lives. I'm like, oh, okay, that's a good idea. That sounds like a way to turn this pursuit into something that will help others. And so that's what I did. I take people on the adventure of the climbs. And on each climb, I highlight a specific lesson, you know, like big mountains take big teams, and then break that down for the reader so that they can apply it to their own life and be like, oh, Okay, I see how this works. And I think a lot of times when we look at things in black or white or in these life or death situations, they become very clear because we're not living in black or white situations on a daily basis. Things are gray and there's just not as much clarity. So when I put them in that environment where it's very clear, now they can see with clarity into their own lives of what they need to do to continue forward. I know there's probably an endless amount of just close calls and challenges what, what was an experience out there through this the series of, of peaks that, that really is an amazing, beautiful, 
almost otherworldly moment that, that you'll always hold on to. Was there anything like that? Yeah. Um, there's a lot of those, but they get, so Antarctica, right? Just getting to Antarctica is fascinating. You fly into Punta Arenas, which is the southernmost point of Chile, and you take an airplane. I think it's a 747. If I have the number wrong, I apologize. But it's a plane that can fly all the way down to Antarctica. And if it can't land, has enough fuel to fly all the way back. And it's about a three and a half hour flight there. And what happens in Antarctica, there's no runway. There's no control tower. There's no lights for the airplane to land. They have to go by their shadow. So you have to have perfect weather to be able to land a plane in Antarctica because they have depth perception from the shadow that the plane is like throwing onto the ground. And so it was just like, even landing there, you're like, what? Like, this is what we're doing to land here. And then you get there and then like everything is just so gorgeous and pristine, yet there's no life and there's no color. And it's, so it's just this irony of environments. And we go to climb Tyree, um, which at the time was a mental block big time because the year before no one climbed since COVID the year before that the North face team was there and did not have success. Like, who am I to say that I can even do this thing. Right. But I had a great team. We had a great weather. Um, and on Tyree, you have one camp before you do the summit push and the summit push before we went was 24 to 36 hours. And so you're managing your temperature, you're managing your fuel, you're managing everything in this ice climb. I mean, you have ice axes and crampons and it's super steep because there's, it's so steep that you can't put a camp anywhere, right? That's why you have such a big summit day. And I just remember like getting to the top of that mountain and that one in particular, and just being filled with so much gratitude, thinking had I been born when my mom or my grandma were born, this wouldn't have even been in the realm of possibility. Like 20-ish people have seen the world from this vantage point and look how gorgeous it is and what an amazing thing that we can create as humans. You can have this desire. You can like recruit people that want to do that same thing with you. You set out on this pursuit together. You get to the top. You like make it easier for the next generation to come. And you just play such a role in everybody's story. Like we're so insignificant yet significant. And that particular climb just felt like that part of that resonated so much with me. And it made me realize whether I'm in Park City or Antarctica, making progress matters and it benefits all of us and showing up and doing life as best as I can, whatever that best is that day is so empowering and so important and so cool that we all get to do this together. So I was like farther away from anybody in the whole world and felt closer to the whole world than I ever had. Right. I mean, it's just so bizarre. What was one of the coolest effects this adventure has had like maybe a story someone wrote in about or told you as well as what do your kids think about this now that it's it's complete you know this is just cool when we step into goals we step into ourselves when we step into these pursuits it gives permission to everybody around us to do the same thing right so now instead of me preaching to my children do your homework eat healthy take care of your body blah 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 I have to do the same thing next to them. 
right? Because I have to be eating healthy to have the energy to train, to do all these different things. And so we are going through life in parallel. Yeah, I don't want to eat healthy either, but we have to. I don't really want to work out today either, but I have to. Like, this is part of the responsibility that we have um, to take care of our bodies, to live our best life. And so I think for all of us, it was just magical. Me stepping into my thing gave them permission to step into theirs. We also had language that we developed that worked for our family. So what's your Everest goal? Um, that means if somebody, whatever their Everest goal is, like that's the biggest, hardest thing going on in their life right now. So having that language allows me to know how to support them. And it could be making the travel soccer team or breaking up with my girlfriend or studying for this big test. Like that's their Everest right now. And just having that language and be able to communicate with each other and support each other in that way has been so beneficial. It's like the tiniest little things make the biggest impact. And this journey has opened our eyes to a lot of that. Are you the mom that's driving down the road now? And you're like, you know, that reminds me of that time I was on Everest when it didn't seem like there was a way to go forward, but we pressed on. You can do it, Timmy. Are, are you like always sharing stories now? I mean, I'm sure there's 10 books worth of stories that you have in you, you know, oh, from I'm this sure. experience. Yeah, like, no, okay, my, mom. Okay. We know, we know about Mount Logan in the storm and you're like, no, no, no. <laughs> Let me tell you. <laughs> yeah, I know. I think the funniest thing is, is like when I hear my kids talking to other kids and they'll be like, yeah, well, your mom didn't climb Everest. My mom's not going to let me quit this thing. So thanks. You know, like, so they're always like, my mom holds me accountable. Like you would not believe. So we're not like, we're not no calling my mom to pick us up early. House. We're here. <laughs> yes. That is hilarious. Yeah. They don't have a whole lot of room to back off of a challenge or a lot of room for complaining when yes when yeah. they have you as a mom that is wild so cool and in that second part of that question was what what's one of the coolest effects that you've seen or that you've heard of so far and i know you're honestly only probably beginning to share the story in a, in a big way cuz the book's coming out in january uh, but but at this point what's one of the coolest uh ripple effects yeah um so i failed k2 in 2021 and had to go back in 2022 and when I went back, I got a phone call a few weeks before I was leaving to go back. And that phone call was an individual who had been training for the mountain and it didn't have the resources to make it happen. And so I'm like, oh, I can help with this. So I came back. I summited K2 in 2022. And the first Pakistani female stood on top of her country's prized peak because I got to help be a part of that journey. And I think a lot of times when we start stepping into things that get us excited, it's selfish at some level. It feels a little selfish because it feels so good and blah, 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 blah. And mountaineering is considered a selfish sport by many. And I just look at the impact that I've been able to have doing this thing that I love that I would have never been able to have such an impact across the globe, across different cultures, across different um, ways of doing life if I didn't step into this pursuit. Because donating money and showing up are two different things. And so by me showing up for this, it allowed so many cool things that I got to be a part of unfold for other generations. I have 10-year-old twin daughters. They're watching me. I know how important it is for them to see somebody that looks like them doing things that air quotes they shouldn't be doing. Because once they start getting curious about that, they have permission to be curious about a whole bunch of other things. And that's where change happens. Now that this is complete and you've done this experience, you, you've written a book, 
Is there anything else you want to do? Like, if you never did anything in the world of adventure again, I'd say this is you, you've you've done amazing an amazing thing here. Is there anything else that that is like you know I still want to do this, or uh, is it just you know when that time comes something pops up maybe, but nothing right now. So I'm allowing myself to do nothing right now, um, which is actually a harder thing for me because I'm more of a human doing than a human being. And I know my kids are watching. And so I've told them, I'm like, I'm taking the year off before we commit to something else that's big and being very intentional about it because we have to have a season of winter before we can have a season of summer again. And I don't want them to take from me. All we do is go, go, go. I need them to take from me that, guess what? We have seasons that we rest. We have seasons we recover and we have seasons that we go. And this is a rest and recover season for me. I'm sure something's going to call my attention, but I'm not really actively seeking it out. And I'm allowing this to be what it is right now. That's awesome. No, I'm, I'm actually very happy for you. That sounds <laughs> just listening to the story. I'm like, she needs, she needs some so a nap, you know, this is wild. I'm like, let's look at the seven nicest beaches in the world or something. Like, yeah, yeah, let's go to the seven nicest beaches. That sounds, seven nicest resorts. Let's do that. So, uh, yeah, let, let, let's wrap up here. What, where can folks find you? Where would you like to point folks? Where do, where do you want folks uh, getting your book when it comes out here soon? Yeah, so I think the easiest place is Amazon. Search Breakproof or Jen Drummond, and there's two N's in Jen. Um, that will get you to the book. Please buy it. That'd be amazing. Uh, my website is jendrummond.com. It has all my social media handles. So you're welcome to reach out and connect on whatever platform of choice that you prefer. I love hearing from people. So please say hi. And then as a token for listening to this entire podcast, if you text the word Everest to the number 33777, so that's Everest to 33777. I'm going to send you a little video of the Milky Way going over base camp. And it's a video I keep in my favorites album on my phone. So whenever I'm feeling overwhelmed or whatever, I just look at that thing. I'm like, okay, we are significantly insignificant. Anything I'm doing right now is getting way too ahead of me. Let's plug back into the basics. And that image is something that's kept me grounded. And so I wanted to share it with you all. That is awesome. I will be doing that. And, you know, for the release of this episode, we'll, we'll give a book away as well. Uh, I'll have a challenge in the intro when I go to produce the episode and, uh, it'll be out right after, uh, the book's out. So if you want, you want a copy of the book, be listening for what that challenge will be. And, uh, first one to do it gets a copy of Breakproof. So Jen, thank you so much. This was really freaking incredible to, to say awesome. the least yeah thank you super fun i appreciate it first of all thank you so much for listening it means the world to us that you choose to listen to this show if you'd like to help us further you can leave a review on itunes share us with your friends your family it goes a long way to grow in the show you can also support us financially through patreon.com slash adventure sports podcast link is in the show notes And also, if you have an idea of who could be a good guest for the show, we're always looking for people to tell their story uh, about the outdoors or adventure. So if you know someone, please reach out. Email us at info at adventuresportspodcast.com. And until then, get out there and have some fun.